been spending some time uh, hearing what God has to say about what we long for. So I'm hoping, I had, a, had one of them here, uh, you've noticed this, you've probably got one of them a, a few weeks back, but the whole, it's still a whole pile, by the way, um, at the uh, front door. So if you want to give one to a friend, please do that, invite a friend along. Um, we have spent the last couple of weeks looking at what we long for, and so we've, week one was acceptance. And what we saw was that when we come to the Lord Jesus in trust and dependence, God actually welcomes us into his family and accepts us. And that, that is a, a, just an amazing thing. He allows us, the God of the universe, to call him Father. And amazing. So acceptance was number one. Week two, last week, we looked at independence and we saw that God's word showed us that true freedom is found at the cross. It's given at the cross where we can be forgiven uh, of our sin. That weight is taken off us and we're free. And so the cross also, though, shows us how to live. So we're, we are, because of our, the forgiveness of our sin, we're now free to serve. Free to not be independent people, really, individualistic, but we're actually free to serve other people. So that's the last couple of weeks. Today is our longing for security. And again, what we're going to try to do is we're going to try to get the emphasis right. See, our, our longing for security is not just about wealth and possessions. We see it also in our longing or in our attitude dependence on searching in relationships, in career, in our jobs. Uh, but in the end, I, I, I think... It's wealth and possessions that most of us, when we think of security, our mind goes to wealth and possessions. Um, it, it is other things as well. We're just not going to do a whole series of sermons in one morning. So we'll just do one. But again, we need to get the emphasis right when we think about uh, wealth, security, and possessions and so on. Because the Bible is clear that wealth in itself is not a bad thing. Uh, but it can be dangerous. So it's getting that emphasis right. Now, I reckon there are about, let's see, I don't know, five? Five, maybe, give or take, what we might call touchy subjects. You know those subjects? You know what I mean by touchy subject? Um, they're a little touchy to preach on, and they're a little touchy to listen to as well. You probably know them. I'm not going to list them all now. But what's interesting is that God has a lot to say in the Bible about touchy subjects. The great questions of life. So life and death, what happens when we die, uh, judgment, marriage, sexuality, touchy subjects. And sometimes Jesus, and I should go back a second for a minute. You see, it's in Jesus' parables where we find these touchy subjects being spoken about. Isn't that interesting? Jesus says a lot about touchy subjects, and it's in his parables, like the one we're going to look at today, where Jesus speaks about a particular touchy subject. Jesus' words sometimes make, make us squirm a little, don't they? They make us sort of shuffle in our seats and put our heads down and make us a little bit uncomfortable, and I guess that's what makes them touchy. More often than not, Jesus' words are confronting. They're challenging and you wouldn't, you wouldn't be human, or perhaps you're just not listening, uh, if you didn't find them like that. Just like his first hearers also found them uncomfortable, confronting and shocking. Don't forget Jesus was crucified for the words that he said, his teaching. 
Well, friends, God has a lot to say about our lives. And God has a lot to say about the touchy subject of wealth and possessions. So let's listen to what God has to say. Indeed, it would be foolishness, wouldn't it? If, like the man in in Jesus' parable, if God has something to say and we didn't listen. So why don't we pray and we'll ask God to speak to us. Father, we, we pray that you'd help us with this, uh, well, it's a little bit of a touchy subject, I suppose, but Lord, we pray that you'd help me to be clear and you'd help us to listen and to put your words into practice. Thank you, God, that you're a God who speaks to us. Help us to be people who listen. Amen. Well, have your Bibles open. Uh, Luke chapter 12, and it's the one that Brooke read for us. I want you to check what I'm saying is right. That's why it's important to have your Bible open in front of you. Uh, you've got to make sure that I'm, what I'm saying is what God actually says too. So that's your job. Um, if you want to scribble some notes down, there's a gap in your, in your outline to scribble some notes down as well. 12 verse 1 tells us there's a large crowd has gathered to hear Jesus speak. Many thousands, in fact. It's quite a scene, really. And they're not very well behaved either. Do you see they're, they're, they're trampling over one another. Perhaps they're, they're trying to get a better spot to see and to hear, uh, a better position. Well, anyway, Jesus turns to, uh, turns to his disciples and speaks to them. Now, I don't think it's just the 12. I think it's probably more than that being referred to here. But in any case, a lot of people, many others would have been listening in. And look what he says. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. That's what hypocrisy is, isn't it? It's like a yeast. It, it, it's slow and it's insidious and it's, it's constant. So Jesus is warning them about being the type of person who says one thing and does another, who does one thing and says something else, who speaks about being good but really isn't. Why? Why does he warn them? Well, then Jesus goes on to say that this type of person will be found out. You see that? God knows. Nothing will be concealed from him, Jesus says. What we say in secret will be brought to light. And notice too, there's a future tense. Do you see that in the words? So Jesus is speaking about God's future judgment on such people. In this case, these hypocrites. He's probably got the Pharisees in mind, but not necessarily just them, of course. And as we keep reading in verses 4 to 5, this theme of judgment continues. In fact, it's God, these are strong words he says here, it's God we ought to fear because we're all going to, we're going to meet him one day in judgment. And that's far more scary than even those who try to kill us, Jesus says. But Jesus, Jesus finishes that sentence, I guess you could say, and he says there's great comfort as well. It's great comfort for followers of Jesus because God won't forget you. Uh, You're worth so much more to him than the sparrows. You can read that in verse 7 if you want to. But let's keep going. Look at verse 8. Notice this ongoing theme, this context. I tell you, whoever acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge him before the angels of God. But he who disowns me before men will be disowned before the angels of God. So this theme of judgment continues. And so when Jesus is interrupted by this man in verse 13, it's clear to Jesus that he hasn't been listening. 
He hasn't been listening to what Jesus has been saying. His priorities are all out of whack. He's lost track of what's really important. This man is distracted by his rights, his property and his possessions. So, in verse 13, well, he treats Jesus like an average rabbi, doesn't he, really? A rabbi, a teacher, Jewish teacher who would be called upon to arbitrate in such circumstances. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me, the man said. He probably jumped up out of his seat and a whole bunch of people around, it was all crowded and cramped in. He jumped up and he probably pointed at Jesus and said, Teacher, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, no one likes a family dispute, do we? (laughs) No. And no one likes a family dispute that's gone public. Definitely not. Think of those celebrities who, who break up, their marriages break up and everyone hears about them. These are real people. It's awful. Who wants to, I don't know, who wants to read about that sort of stuff? And no one likes a family dispute that's gone public that's about money. <laughs> that's what this man has done. He's brought it out in the open. And I don't know if you can sense a bit of the, the awkwardness here. Oh, gee, really? Did he, did he bring that up in public? Man. It seems there's some type of family argument between two brothers about an inheritance. And the man, probably the younger brother, was complaining about not getting his share. And he looks at Jesus and he says, he tells Jesus that he wants Jesus to decide in his favour, doesn't he? That's what he wants. But Jesus refused to get, he refuses to get involved and he rebukes the man. When he, when he says, man... Uh, who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you, it's a rebuke. He doesn't say friend or anything like that. He says, man. I don't know if that's even the right tone of voice. It's a rebuke of this man. Jesus came to bring people to God, not property to people. So in verse 15, again, try to imagine this scene. After responding to this man... He, and, and rebuking this man in front of all these people, he now turns to the crowd. Well, he turns to us, doesn't he? Jesus turns to us and he continues. Verse 15. Then he said to them, watch out. See, Jesus again warns his followers. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Hang on a minute. What? Well, if life does not consist of that, what does it consist of then? What does life consist of? The people are whispering to themselves. Uh, it's one of life's big questions, isn't it? What does life consist of? What, what, what's, the, what's the purpose of life? Thank you very much. We'll get there. <laughs> uh, it, it, it could even be a bit of a touchy subject. The problem is, like these people in Luke 12, we as a society, where we live in really, we, we do live as if life consists in the abundance of our possessions. We do live as if our longing for security can only be found in the accumulation of stuff. That's the world we live in. A healthy bank balance, uh, in this, uh, a, a, you know, the, a, a successful share portfolio. They're the right words, I don't, wouldn't even know. 
Our society says that if you're rich and you're happy, you're secure, you're, your future is secured. Uh, watch any Powerball ad. Watch any Lotto ad. Any uh, instant scratchy ad. You've got money, you'll be secure, you'll be happy. It's one reason why I think Christians shouldn't take part in such things. Because we don't. A Christian person doesn't put our trust in what's temporary, what's uncertain. Nor do we support an industry that's sole motivation is really greed, getting more stuff. Our society says that money and possessions measures success. Uh, a big income, you're a success. Get a good HSC, or you can go to university, you can do a better degree, you can get a higher paying job, uh, you're a success. You've got a nice big house, uh, expensive car, nice clothes. Well, society says you're a success. You're doing well at life, well, you might, you're secure. Remember the TV show, Better Homes and Gardens? It's actually a, it's a website these days and, and this, it's gone all, all web-based. It's got to be a pretty good catch cry for the world we live in, isn't it? Better homes and gardens, at least in terms of Australia. For many, that's what life consists of. Imagine for a moment, it'd be interesting, isn't it, wouldn't it, if, we had a, if there's a program called a Perfectly Adequate Homes and Gardens. Uh, <laughs> so each week... A, a bricklayer or plumber would take us on a tour of a standard, ordinary family home and would say, as you can see, the Jones family home has plenty of potential. There's lots we could do with this one. However, it does the job pretty well. It's warm and dry and comfortable. There's no st obvious structural problems. We're going to encourage the Joneses to be content and leave it as it is. Uh, closing credits, theme song. Uh, I don't think it would sell, do you reckon? The reason being is we don't actually live like that. The reality is for most of us, and most of us here on this earth, um, especially in this country, in countries like ours, really, life consists in the abundance of our possessions. We keep wanting more. But Jesus says life does not consist in the abundance of our possessions. And to help us see that, well, he tells a short story. He tells a parable. So the ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. It's not a bad problem to have, is it? Not a bad problem at all. In fact, he's a good man. Nothing dodgy going on, nothing dishonest. Here is God-given wealth. A good crop, a good harvest, a good return. Security, you could say. He's a straightforward, honest person is presented at this point. And he has a problem. Verse 17. See, prosperity brings problems. It does. But it's a nice problem. See, prosperity has exceeded need. What do I do with my excess money? What do I do with it? When I have more than I need, what should I do with it? What about you? What do you do with your excess money? Uh, when you've got more than you need, what do you do with it? Let, let, why don't we call it, let's call it the prosperity problem. All right? There we go. I've even got a graph. Do you like that? That's lovely, isn't it? Uh, when prosperity exceeds or is greater than need. 
there's the prosperity problem, okay? And let's face it, this is a problem that most of us are very familiar with. And it's a nice problem to have, isn't it? I like having this problem. It's a lovely problem. I have it sometimes. I think I've got it at the moment. It's pretty good. I like it. Uh, what shall I do, the rich man says? What do I do about my prosperity problem? Well, let's look at verse 18 and see what he does. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink and be merry. Well, here's his solution to his prosperity problem. And it's not a bad plan, is it? Like, who wouldn't want a retirement like that? I, I Don't put up your hand, but I wouldn't mind a retirement like that. You know, security like that, plenty of good things laid up for many years, take life easy, eat, drink and be merry. Not a bad plan. It's not, you wouldn't call it evil. What he's done is actually very reasonable. He's actually been very prudent, efficient, and he's been very careful with his money. But God says, you fool. God says, you fool. You're a flaming idiot. That's the closer Greek translation. <laughs> you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Verse 21. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. It is shocking language. It is. You can almost hear the gasps of air as people respond in disbelief. Did he really say that? That's what I want as well. I, I, I thought this man was doing the right things. I thought he was being efficient and careful and prudent with his money. See, this man does, he does something that, well, everyone does, or at least hopes to and plans to do, doesn't he? What, what this rich man does is pretty normal. Yet Jesus calls him a fool. And in one sense, he calls them all fools. No wonder people wanted to crucify Jesus. <laughs> so why is this rich man a fool? It's pretty rough to criticise this rich man saying, well, he should have been ready to die at any moment. You know, he should have been ready. Uh, now, Yes, there's some truth in that. And yes, I think Jesus is making that point. But I don't think the parable is really about death and getting ready and prepared for death at any moment. I don't think that's it. That's not Jesus' main point. And nor is the parable one of those you-can't-take-it-with-you parables. It's, I don't think that's really his main point either. It's part of what Jesus is saying. It's true. No, no, we've got to go back to what Jesus was teaching about before he was interrupted and what was he teaching about remember he's teaching about the judgment of god at 12 verse 2 there's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known and so on this rich successful man at least successful in the world's eyes has lived a life that all that matters is his comfort and his wealth and his retirement He's lived a life preparing for himself. Look back at verses 18 and 19. If you've got a Bible there, look at, just skim over it. See how many times you can count 
the, the word I. How many times does he refer to himself? There's quite a few, aren't there? You see? He, he's, he's lived a life of self-indulgence, finding his security in his wealth and possessions and this desire to have more. His life consisted in the abundance of possessions and Jesus says God will find him out. Uh, he'll be judged and it won't be pretty. He's a fool because he does not take into account the judgment of God. He hasn't been listening at all. And so Jesus warns his followers. And friends, he warns you and I. Wealth is dangerous. Watch out. Be on your guard. Don't be like the rich fool who stores up things for himself. Instead, be rich towards God. For it's only in him that we find true and lasting security. It's what we do with our abundance of possessions that is the issue. The issue is not wealth. You've misheard if you think that's the issue. The issue is not wealth, but the issue is what we do with it. Do you hear that? The issue is what we do with it and even how we think about it. It's the same thing Paul writes about in 1 Timothy 6, verse 17 to 19. Command those who are rich, up on the screen just in a moment, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to be good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. You see, Jesus says the fool is the one who is unconcerned with God's concerns. The fool ignores the things that God cares about. The fool does, doesn't love the things that God loves. He's not rich towards God. That's what it means. You see, what we do with our prosperity problem, that's when prosperity exceeds need. What we do with our prosperity problem demonstrates whether we are rich towards God. What we do with our prosperity problem demonstrates whether we are rich towards God. What I do with this prosperity problem demonstrates that I know God's love, that I care about what he cares about, that I care about what he loves. Friends, what we do with our wealth demonstrates whether we are rich towards God or poverty-stricken despite having all the wealth in the world. Why don't I pray? We'll see in a few moments. Uh, Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance, now and always. Thou and thou only, the first in my heart. High King of heaven, my treasure thou art. Father, we, we ask that you'd help us to find our security in you and not in the abundance of possessions. Lord, may we be people who are thankful and generous, just like the Lord Jesus Christ was generous to us, so much so that he died on the cross for our sin. May we use our wealth in ways you would like us to. Amen. Well, friends, um, uh, there's a couple options here. In terms of making a comment or asking a question, 
Don't forget the comment cards. Um, if you uh, want to give us some details there too, please do that. Um, but the white box at the back of the table there, place the, um, write your comment in, place it there. I'm the only one who sees those comments, just me and me alone. So um, uh, keep that in mind.